It's the Zero Lives Left podcast, episode 40. Welcome to the Zero Lives Left podcast. What is it you have always wanted to do? Are you stuck going around in circles? Sound familiar? Maybe you have always wanted to start a business. Maybe there's a particular career path you've wanted to follow. Each episode, we bring you an inspiring insight from someone who has done it, how they did it, along with actionable tips on how you can make it happen. Now, here's your host, Wayne Denner. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Zero Lives Left podcast. My name is Wayne. I'm your host on this journey. Thank you once again for tuning back into another episode of the show. As always, if this is your first time coming across the podcast and you've no idea what it's all about, maybe you've seen a link on social media, one of your colleagues suggested that you check the podcast out. Let me give you a quick rundown on how things work around here. Each episode, we bring you no-nonsense, real, right-to-the-point podcast banter on business, career, and life. Maybe you're somebody who's always wanted to start a business or get started in a particular career path. This podcast provides you with real and practical advice and tips which you can apply to help you succeed on your business career and life journey covering a range of different topics we will have something which will help you along on your way don't forget the zero lives left podcast website is up and running check it out lots of great information previous episodes of the podcast available interviews a little bit more information about the show and also my podcasting course which is going to be available over the next couple of weeks which you can avail of via the website. So maybe you're somebody who is listening into this podcast right now. You'd love to launch your own podcast. I would encourage you to absolutely do that. You can take my handy course, Seven Simple Steps to Successfully Launch Your First Podcast. So make sure you check that out over at the website. Reviews are really important as always if you're enjoying the podcast please do rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you're listening over on Stitcher, Spotify, or indeed whichever platform you're listening to this podcast on, please do review the podcast. Please do rate it. It does help other people find out about the show. We're going to have some pretty exciting announcements coming over the next couple of weeks. We've got a new format of the podcast coming in January, early February 2019. I'm really excited about it. We're taking the podcast to the next level. Stay tuned. I'm going to be letting you know a little bit more about that. We want to take you on this journey with us. This is all about learning together. This is about us bringing guests on who you can learn from. You can hear their story and take away some of the tips that they've used in order to help them be successful in their business, career and life. Today we have another packed episode lined up for you. This is a milestone episode. For me, it's episode 40 can you imagine 40 episodes of this podcast? And I wanted to bring on an amazing guest. This is a guy that I first met a couple of years ago when we were both speaking at the Social Media Summit in Dublin, a great event which was organized by my friend. Um, she's been on this podcast before, Samantha Kelly. Joining me on today's episode of the show is Ted Rubin, a leading social marketing strategist, speaker, CMO of brand innovators and co-founder of Prevailing Path. In March 2009, he started using and evangelizing the term return on relationship. We're going to be chatting all about the importance of relationships. He's going to be sharing his insights from his early days in digital when he was working with Seth Goding um, at Yo-Yo Dine. We're going to talk about the return on relationship concept. Ted's going to be sharing his top tips for businesses on how to embrace and use social media more effectively. All right, let's not waste any more time and get right in to episode 40 of the Zero Lives Left podcast. Ted Rubin has been involved in the online space since 1997, working with best-selling author, entrepreneur, and agent of change, Seth Goding at Yo-Yo Dine, which was acquired by Yahoo in 1998. Ted is a leading social media marketing strategist, keynote speaker, acting CMO of brand innovators, and co-founder of the recently launched Prevailing Path. In March 2009, he started using and evangelizing 
the term ROI, return on relationship, which I absolutely love. I am really, really excited to introduce on the podcast, Ted Rubin, all the way from the United States. Ted, thank you so much for giving up some of your time today to talk to me on episode 40 of the Zero Lives Left podcast. I am super stoked, uh, first of all, to have you on the show. I first came across uh, you. Um, I'd heard your name before through, you know, conversations on Twitter. Um, And then you came to the Social Media Summit in Dublin and you gave a keynote there a couple of years ago. And we're going to come back to that in a couple of moments. But before we get into all of the other stuff that we're going to talk about today in this episode, I want to start off by digging a little bit more into Ted Rubin. You've been working in the online space since 1997, helping businesses and brands. Can you give our listeners a little bit of an insight to your backstory? Well, first of all, Wayne, I want to say how happy I am to be here. You know, um, Ireland has become my favorite country and I miss being there. It's been too long and it's always a pleasure to speak to somebody from Ireland and get a little bit of uh, local flair and local taste. So uh, thanks so much for reaching out. Uh, For now on, by the way, because I I love talking to you. For now on, whenever you ping me or text me or message me, I'm going to say call me instead of that just because I just like – I love listening to your accent. I love listening to the way you you put things to a phrase. And, uh, of course, now I'll jump in with a quick answer to your question. Um, You know, backstory is – First of all, I'm 60 years old, so there's way too much backstory for the time we have allotted here. You know, I grew up in New York. Uh, my family, my grandparents were uh, Jewish-Polish immigrants from uh, from Poland, escaped uh, during the Holocaust, or fortunately right before, spent most of the, the time during it uh, raising money to sneak Jews out of Poland. So, you know, this is something I heard about a lot of my life, and, and relationships were always an important part of everything I learned growing up from my grandparents, from my parents, you know, for, especially from my dad and my grandfather, and, you know, watching what they did. But uh, to fast forward in, into this, this online digital kind of space, you know, I did a lot of things in my past. I was involved in the, invest- in the investment business. I built a lot of sales teams, and in 1997, uh, I discovered the Internet. And shortly after I discovered the internet, I read a um, uh, an interview uh, with Seth Godin, who at the time was not known the way he is now. Um, he was a bit of a wonderkind kid out of you know college and grad school, working at Atari as a as a brand manager. But when I learned about him, he had started something called Yo-Yo Dying, which was the first online direct marketing company. He founded it in the mid-90s. I discovered it in 1997 as he was evolving it to the digital space. And uh, during this interview, the two things that really caught my attention, other than his brilliance, was at the end of it, uh, well, two things. First of all, he mentioned that they're having a lot of trouble finding people that can sell this stuff because it's new. It's different. You can't look for someone with the exact experience and hire them because there was nobody with the exact experience. So at the end of this, at this end of this interview, one of the questions they asked was, hey, you know, Seth, you know, it, it, it sounds like what you're doing is really interesting. Do you have any job openings? And your company sounds really cool because he talked about the kind of culture he was building. And he said, well, we don't have any direct openings, but there's two things. I will always hire a smart person. That's the way I'm building my business. I'll find a place for them if I think they're really smart. And number two is I'm looking for people that can sell anything. And I immediately, like a bell went off, and I had been looking to change into this digital media and this digital community. And I wanted to, I had moved to Florida after I closed a business in New York. I had started having a family and I desperately wanted to get back to New York and I was looking for an opportunity. So I wrote a letter. You know, actually, an actual letter. You know how you write those things? A letter? Um, a letter, like on paper with, with a pen. Wow. And I remember when I did finish it, my wife at the time, who's my ex-wife now, uh, said, you know, nobody can read your handwriting. You better type that. So, I, you know, I typed it. I Again, I had my first, I was online for the first time, and, and I had my computer in the house, and I sent along actually a printed resume. And the letter basically said, hey, I, re- I listened to your interview, and I can sell anything. And I'm really smart. Uh, that was the essence of it. And it, again, my, my wife said, why are you wasting time applying to a company that has no job opening? I said, well, the guy said he wants smart people. And then he always hires somebody smart. And she's like, well, you're not that smart. You know, that, that's, you know, we, we all go through that kind of stuff. But needless to say, the company called. And I ended up flying up to New York. 
Uh, I worked out a way to make it work for us both because they were a young, growing startup and I needed money to support my family. And I moved to New York and I went to work for Yo-Yo and then started learning about the digital space very early on when e-commerce was nothing more than a catalog online, when, when digital media was, was nothing more than um, uh, uh, reprinted magazines basically placed online. So I got a very early view of everything. And also I was very fortunate. I was around Seth Godin. And I, I made a critical mistake when I moved to New York. I, I'll advise all your listeners to never do this in their lives. Uh, my family was still in Florida. I had a lot of expenses, more than what I was earning. So I moved in with my in-laws up in New York. Don't ever move in with your in-laws, especially if they're like, uh, your, I don't know if your audience knows Jerry Seinfeld and, yeah. and the Seinfeld show, but there was a family on there called the Costanzas, and the, and the mother and father never did anything but yell at each other, and that was like my in-laws. But the good news was is that it got me out of the house early because I, I, I wanted to leave before anybody woke up, so I ended up at the office at Erudine every morning by 6.30 a.m., and Seth was an early riser, so besides me, he was the only other one in the office, and he was literally coming up with this brilliance in this new developing medium, and I was sitting there when he coined the term permission marketing, and he wrote a the post, uh, uh, he wrote an article for Fast Company Magazine that then became his best-selling, first, uh, first best-selling book in the space. Of course, he's had any number of others since then. But more importantly, I got to riff with him and listen to him. And I, although I like to talk, I learned to shut up and listen. And listening to his talk about, about consumers and how ideas spread, which became his book, The Idea Virus, and, and how you get permission from people, which was really, to me, what permission said was you build a relationship. He didn't necessarily use that word when it came to consumers. He used it a lot with getting to know companies and brands that we would work with. He never wanted us to, to go to a first meeting and come back with a sale. I mean, although he would never turn it down, but what he wanted us to do was go there and get to know something about the people and learn about their business so we could deliver some real value to them. And it's where I really first started talking about um, return on relationship in my head. I didn't have a term for it yet, but I, I've always been what I thought was a networker or, or a connector. You know, what I've learned in more recent times is what I really am is a is a community builder. Yes, I, I do connect and network and build people, but I bring them together. All my friends from all walks of life, from every company and school and anything I've ever been to, I, I maintain those relationships and I connect those people together. So all, all of a sudden, to fast forward to recent times, I'm at Elf Cosmetics as the CMO in 2008, you know, trying to work with no marketing budget, discovering the way all these social platforms were starting to scale in 2008, and then recognizing the community building capabilities of these platforms where you could do it at scale. So again, to fast forward, I, I went through a lot of different generations, but I ended up at a company called Elf Cosmetics in 2008. They were a young cosmetics company selling dollar cosmetics competing with the prestige brands with no marketing budget. Their only, their only way to compete was that they had this very inexpensive product. And I jumped them into the social space. And it was very early. And I got some great experience for a number of reasons. Most, most companies were not doing this yet. The bigger brands like the Sephora's, the Estee Lauder's, the, the L'Oreal's of the world were still afraid of social. Truth be told, I think they're still afraid of, of, of mm -hmm. the real capabilities. But back then, they wouldn't even post anything. Or if they did, they'd have to go through three levels of legal approval. And I was in a brand that was owned by a father's son that had no marketing budget that basically said, do anything you can to get our name out there as long as you don't, we don't have to write a check, you know, other than, you know, some interns and, and your check and, and, and so on and so forth. So... I got to experiment and do all these really cool things that nobody else could do. And it gave me a very early education. And on top of that, I built relationships with CMOs at some major companies like Jeffrey Hazlett, who was a codec at the time and an early user of social media, and Barry Judge at um, Best Buy. And we would brainstorm. And then at the end, they'd say, you, you try it because they had legal issues with trying. So it wasn't even like they were just being nice. They were like, this is really cool, but why don't you, you know, Try it on your site. So I got to do all these things early on and learn just the power of these platforms and the power of how you could build a brand with social media. So again, fast forward from Elf, I went to a company called Open Sky. I learned about peer-to-peer -peer commerce. I helped them build uh, and get out more media about their company from people, from bloggers and other community people faster than any other brand at the time. Um, when when they kind of converted from peer-to-peer -peer commerce, which was a little bit early at the time, to celebrity-curated products, 
I then joined a company whose board I had joined about a year before, started a relationship with my long-term business partner, Jenna Andrews, who had founded a company called Collective Bias, um, brought me on as a partner, and we were building um, user-generated storytelling content at scale for major brands uh, out of Bentonville, where the biggest retailer in the world is headquartered, or at least the biggest retailer in the world then. Uh, Amazon is going to probably surpass them pretty soon. But that, that, and that was an amazing ride. We built collective bias from when I joined that had 400,000 in sales to at this point, I'm not exactly sure. They've been, we were fortunately acquired in 2016, um, a year when we did 45 million in sales. And now who knows where they're at. So it's been an exciting ride. Uh, I, John and I then found the prevailing path, which was to understand more about the path to purchase. And we've since taken what we learned there in the, in the uh, intellectual property and brought it into a company we're working with called Photify, which helps, helps brands and consumers and small businesses uh, scale photographic content um, that's trackable with, with perfectly branded assets and we're trying to figure out how to scale that. So that's our, that's kind of our new project. And uh, I still speak around. I speak internationally. I speak a lot domestically. And I also am lucky enough to be associated for the last five years with a company called Brand Innovators, where I get to MC marketing events 30 plus a year around the country, which gives me insight into what brands are doing on a day-to-day basis, where startups are, because they're all involved in that community. And that's where we are today. Wow, that is certainly some backstory and you know even at this point i've got so many takeaways already that i'm thinking about for the show notes even beyond but take me back a little bit to something that you mentioned which um is is so important and so interesting and you touched on it once or twice um in your backstory there personal connections are really really important in business what's your thoughts on the things that businesses need to think about especially those smaller businesses who are maybe starting out who are looking to build those personal connections and those relationships? I think what small businesses fail to realize very often is that their business is who is them. Um, it, it, it's, it's even when you get into a medium-sized business category, it's still about the founder, about the culture, about what the company is all about. And I think sometimes they focus too much on, look, I understand, they focus too much on on creating media that creates sales and i get that i mean you have a business you got to keep the doors open i mean john and i used to have that argument we'd be at a brand they'd be willing to pay us for something that was not the best use of what we were doing i would start trying to explain to them why it wasn't the best use and he kicked me under the table and say dude they want to give us money let's take it you know yeah. <laughs> meanwhile i was the chief marketing officer so i was only worried about that he was the ceo he had to worry about keeping the lights on um and i think a lot of companies you know get blinded by that a little bit the short term and again perfectly understandable and i get it but what they need to start realizing is that a business is more than what it does today it's what it's going to grow into and the, the better their reputation the more people know about them what they stand for what the company stands for um especially these days that's a very important factor so and it's kind of easy for us to share content and ideas from ourselves. Once you start getting into, well, what's our what's our goal in the company and what's our brand and how do we keep everything on brand, it gets a lot more complicated. But when it's about Wayne and the fact that Wayne is passionate about helping kids and young people and Wayne loves to, you know, uh, paraglide or. Or, or, or surf, then people can start relating to Wayne. And it also opens up ways for people to communicate. So a lot of people know I share my socks whenever I travel, whenever I'm at events, I have a hashtag Ted Saki. And sometimes a lot of people think it's silly. What they don't understand is it's about connection. People bring me socks to every event. They look at my post. They know where I'm traveling. It's not just me getting on and saying, hey, I'm traveling somewhere. And it gives them a way to talk to me and communicate with me in a very easy fashion. Just like somebody could say to you, like, hey, Wayne, like I saw last weekend, you you went hiking. Like, I love hiking, too. And I think businesses just forget that. And I think they also have to allow that to scale to their employees, because the, the more likable, to me, this is my opinion, but the more likable, the more friendly, the more easy to approach employees are, 
the better it is for a company, no matter what they do, B2B, B2C. I mean, especially in B2B. People, a lot of people like to say, oh, social has no place in B2B, or, or your personal things have nothing to do with social in B2B marketing. But it does, because remember, almost every product is commoditized now. There's a million people in one way or another doing what I do, what you do, Wayne, what, what, a, what a new, what a new um, software does, what a law firm does, what an accounting sure. firm does, what a dentist does. I mean, there's a million dentists in your Town. Sure. Why you go to one or the other? Yes, there's important traditional advertising is important. Getting listed in listings of, of dentists and getting a good rating, that's important. But another thing is, oh my God, I love when I go in their office. They're so friendly. Or, you know, when I call for an appointment, they call me right back. Or and when they call me back, they're always in a good mood. They always ask me how I am. I like going there. I can't tell you now. Recently I moved and I'm looking for a new physician and I'm I'm a vegan. And I believe in a plant-based diet, and I've realized that most doctors just don't understand nutrition. So I'm looking for a doctor that does. So I've been reading medical reviews online because if I find someone, I want to see what's said. And I can't tell you how many of them mention the office atmosphere. I mean, remember, you're talking about a doctor. Sometimes you're talking about a cardiologist. So you're talking about your heart. Pretty serious thing, right? You think the most important thing is, well, where did he go to school, and what's his education, and no, the, go in and look at these things. More and more people are like, I went there, had a bad experience with the staff, I'm never going back. I, I love the doctor, he was great, but I can't deal with his office, you know, I, I, or I can't deal with this. Or the doctor really seems to know his stuff, but he, he's so brief and abrupt, I'm not going back there. And I think the same can be said for lawyers and accountants. And again, at clothing stores, I recently went into a store, perfect example. Um, I was at a Brand Innovators event, and one of the guys from News Corp, you know, saw that one of the new things I've been doing, everyone knows when I speak, I wear vests, and I have all these things that are just part of my brand. And a lot of them are just things I do that become part of my brand, because when people ask about them, and recently I've started wearing t-shirts, especially when I'm traveling in warm weather, and I've got to perform on a stage all day, and it's hot, I'm just more comfortable. But I also love t-shirts, because you can relay a message on those t-shirts. And most of these t-shirts have writing. So he, during this event, he said, oh, my God, you should have this, this T-shirt um, that, that I've seen around. And uh, I'm, I'm actually getting up and running to a room because I forgot exactly what it says, but it's sitting in my room. It says, live, work, create. Right? And he goes, that would be perfect for you. And as it happens, we have these VIP dinners at these events. And we happen to be in a restaurant right next to a store called Brooklyn something. And right in the window, apparently, is this T-shirt. So I'm at the bar. He disappears for a couple of minutes. Apparently, he was on the phone with his wife, and he saw this T-shirt. He ran to the store. He bought it for me. He brings it into me very proudly in the bag. I open it up. I go, well, this is great. And go, oh, wow. This is way too big for me because the store is right over there. Go. So I run across the street, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't let me exchange it without the receipt. And I look at this woman. By the way, there's no one in the store. Nobody. There's, there's, one, there's two employees, one behind the counter. And I go, um, my friend just bought it. She goes, yeah, I know. I sold it to you. Then you know it's from here. I said, I'm not even asking you to return it. I'm not even asking for something different. I want the same exact T-shirt and a smaller size. Well, I can't take it without the receipt. That's crazy. Not crazy, right? Yeah. So I, I, I have to go back to the restaurant. I get the receipt. Thank God he still had it. Because, you know, good bet he could have thrown it out. Yeah. He, he gives it to me. I go back. I change the T-shirt. And I take a picture of the store. And I post it. I'm like, who would ever want to shop here? Why would I ever want to shop there again? I mean, this, I mean, she wasn't even nice about it. Like, you know, the, she could have said, oh, my God, like, I know how silly this is. I really want to do this, but there's a really silly rule here at the company. Or I'm sorry, I've got I mean, something. But no, she just looked me straight in the face and said, can't do it. Not a smile, not a nice thing. I mean, but again, we're, by the way, the restaurant, we're at across the street. It's one of the most expensive restaurants in New York. So good bet that I could have bought something else as well. I mean, uh, you know, good chance. Guy eating dinner at this restaurant, nothing. I mean, so to me, what a lot of people fail to realize is this whole return on relationship concept of this do for others without expectation of something directly in return. Do something nice and make it easy. I mean, I'm on the phone with Delta Airlines every day, and I'm a Diamond member. I travel quite a lot. And I was buy, I bought a ticket to travel somewhere that was very expensive. And I just, every once in a while, I'll go in and check the ticket. And usually it's because I like to see that it went up in price and that it was smart of me to buy it early. And I go on, on to Delta and I see the ticket is thousands of dollars cheaper. And I'm like, holy cow. You know, so I call up Delta. And they were really nice. They're like, oh, you know, it doesn't happen very often, but we'd be happy to refund you. And as she's doing it, she's telling me what the refund will be. And then she says, okay, well, it'll be this. And I go, well, I thought it was going to be more. And she said, well, there's a, a change fee. And then without me even saying it, she says, 
Well, isn't that silly? You're not changing anything. We're just giving you a refund. You're not canceling your flight. You're going on the exact same flight with the exact same needs. And without me even having to ask, she refunded me the whole amount. Smart. No, and you know, then that's okay. That's Delta, but his Delta empowering. You know, I said, well, can we get a supervisor on the phone? And she said, no need. I'll take care of it for you. You know, and this is someone that's stepping up. So from from small from large enterprise businesses, especially small businesses, I just feel, and I'm going to try to round this back to your original question, is that a lot of what they can do is so much simpler than they think. It's not a long term. It's not a huge strategy. It's not figuring out the whole branding. Make your branding. Make one of the basics of your branding, no matter what you're selling, that we're good to people. Be good to people. It's as simple as they're nice. And, and that's another T-shirt you have, by the way. Be good to people. I've yes. seen, I've seen yes, that. Sir. I wear it whenever I travel. It's changed my travel life. Change my travel life. The, the, the guys in security, when you're going through security, see that T-shirt and they smile and they ask about it. I can't tell you how many stickers I've given out to the TSA guys in the United States uh, who, who who work the security thing when they mention it. I carry buttons and I carry stickers. And when and when a flight attendant says, I love your shirt, I give them a button. I said, well, you should wear one. I mean, and then they, people treat you better. It's all about the message. You know, even when someone's not nice, if you're nice to them, and I don't mean condescendingly nice. I don't mean when some of us, and I do this sometimes, someone's really nasty, so you purposely get a little bit oversweet just to make them feel bad. <laughs> but I'm just talking about just being nice. Like someone says, hey, man, i got to get done now. You go, oh, absolutely, man. Let me get out of your way. And you're smart. Um, you know, or, or someone's trying to shove a bag in or move your bag over. And you say, hey, let me do that for you. It, it, it takes it down or not. It, it, I don't know if you fly a lot, but a good flight attendant knows, is trained well, but also knows in their own head how to take a situation down a notch. So, you know, you've traveled. So, of course, you see the guys trying to pound the bag that'll never fit in the overhead, yeah. you know, uh, uh, above their head. And there's the flight attendant who, who doesn't get it, who walks up and says, sir, that bag will never fit up there. And what happens? Right with that attitude and that voice, they create a confrontation. And now the guy feels compelled to argue. But the flight attendant that's smart, and this goes to the person, the human being, the teacher, the, the, the store clerk, who says, oh, sir, let me try to help you with that. I bet you we can do this. And she makes an effort to try to fit it, and then she goes, you know what? I don't think it's going to fit. Let me take it, and we'll have it for you at the, at, at the gate as soon as we land. And it's very hard for a person to get angry at that. And I think that we all, in general, seek out to do business with those people. Like, hey, have you ever been to that liquor store? They make great recommendations, or they're really nice, or they really care about what you're doing. I think it goes to everything. The problem is people don't see it naturally a direct result. There's no click-through that says, oh, this person was nice. Click-through, make the purchase. But they forget, and and they forget about the the positive um, things they can do that affect the, the, the way people talk about their business, but also the way people feel about their business. I love it. Now, let's take our listeners back to the Social Media Summit in Dublin, an event that was run by your friend and my friend, the tweeting goddess, a.k.a. Samantha Kelly, uh, who's also been on the podcast in the past. You, I sat in for your keynote and something that you said really struck a chord with me um, in relation to looking people in the eye digitally. Can you give our listeners a bit of an insight to to what that means? Looking people in the eye digitally means doing what you've been taught to do face-to-face. So we've all experienced this, and mostly when we were young. You know, our parents sat us down, or mentors sat us down, or somebody and said, listen, son, because we're guys, so I'm saying son. You need to look at people when you talk to them. You know, let them know you're paying attention to them. I'm sure, I mean, about you, but I got the training before my first date. Like, you know, if you want to get a second date, make sure you pay attention to her when she's talking to you. Look her in the eye. Repeat back a couple of things she said. Don't look at every other girl walking into the restaurant. You know, pay attention and show that person you're focused on them. And anybody who's been trained in sales, especially if you've had any decent sales training, you've been taught that when you meet with someone, make sure you're looking at them and you're paying attention and you know things that are going on. Well, I'm trying to get people to do that digitally because what's happened I believe, is that with the digital tools, you think you can step away. You think you can make a comment and, and not be there for the answer. You, it's so easy to text back and forth without any mention of someone's name or what they do. And looking people in the eye digitally means 
looking at who they are before you get on, before you're with Wayne, you know, making sure you know something about him and something he's done. You, you know, you, fortunately, you make it easy for me, and I try to do that for people. You remind me where we met, and you did this when you first reached out to me, and you know how we knew each other and what you do, and know a little of those things. I can't tell you how many meetings I go to, and this is, and this is taking looking people in the eye digitally and combining it with with face to face. I go into a meeting with some salespeople from a company I'm consulting for. And the first question they ask the guy at a major brand is, oh, so how long have you been here? Seriously? You didn't look at their LinkedIn profile before you came? Like you, you make a, or, or, or where do you live? Or why not say, wow, you've been here for 12 years. It's, it, you really must know this company. Or, oh, you just started two months ago. You know, is, is there anything we can do to support you while you're here? And that's using digital tools to understand and connect with people, whether it's digitally or it's remotely. And another thing about looking for people on digitally is using their name. You know, Dale Carnegie always said that the, 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 the sweetest sound to anybody's ear is the sound of their own name. So when you, like, if you might have noticed that I've used Wayne a number of times while we've spoken. I try to make it a part of what I do when I reply to people in, in, in an email. I mean, not when I'm back and forth 20 times, but when they first email me, I'll reply and Add their name to it. You know, we've gotten so used to, yup, okay, you know, talk to you later, like quick things. But if you take an extra moment to add someone's name to one or two of those texts or one or two of those messages, it lets that person know that you're actually focused on them. And, and people love hearing their name. So look people in the eye digitally is an effort to take all those things we've learned in face-to-face and bring them to the digital world. And that's another thing I took away from your keynote at the Social Media Summit about you know um, using people's uh, name whenever you're replying to them in LinkedIn or if you're sending them a connection request. It's a real pain bearer of mine, people who send particularly requests to connect on LinkedIn and they don't even personalize the message up. They spend no time at all and they just think the other person on the other end is going to accept them. Exactly. Like, look, I, write, I write and talk about this a lot. Stop sending me LinkedIn requests without personal notes. Yeah. I delete the vast majority of them. Yeah. I mean, I'd say 90%. I mean, if I recognize who it is, if I see it's Wayne, I'm probably going to accept. But I will always, anyone I accept who doesn't even write me a note, I write a personal note back to them. Sometimes I admonish them for not writing a personal note. I do it in a nice way. Hey, thanks for reaching out. Um, uh, so glad to be connected. Um, in the future, I suggest you, you include a personal note. Now, a lot of people say, you know, no one even reads those LinkedIn notes. Mm. They just click accept or not. That might be the case, but I guarantee you some people do. And those people that do are the ones that make the difference. I like to say a brand is what a business or a person does. A reputation is what people remember and share. So Wayne might do something for a business, but his reputation is that he follows up, is that he's got, he's, he's got a great personality. He gives you the information you need. That's your reputation. And that's what people tell each other. That's what's important. If somebody calls me and says, what do you think of Wayne Denner? I don't say, I don't ever mention your business. Oh, he's a great guy and I love the way he follows up and he gives me all the information I need. And, you know, and he's got a great accent because you know, I'm here from the States and I love his accent. You know, over in Ireland, I might go, what, what accent? But, you know, these are the kind of things to me that are just very, very important. And just funny enough, in the past couple of days, um, when I was preparing for this podcast and doing a little bit more research, I came across a really, really interesting article that you wrote. And it's kind of going to be mapping back to one of the earlier questions in relation where you touched on, you know, small businesses and what they think about. About. But I thought this was a really, really interesting article, particularly for the town that I live in. And there's a number of small businesses in the area. And your article was titled Closing Time, 20 Major Retailers That Likely Won't Exist in 10 years. You mentioned some pretty major names. And I remember when I spent some time in the United States a couple of years ago, I remember going to these stores quite a bit. JCPenney, uh, I went to Best Buy, Radio Shack, amongst others. You made some great points, Ted, in that article. Do you feel the messages in that article are just as important for smaller retailers and, and why? A hundred percent. I mean, if most of these companies, there's there's two things that they're doing. Number one, I mean, there's many things, but number one is they're resting on their laurels. They're thinking that their name or their reputation can carry them. A lot of small businesses do this all the time. Oh, the whole community knows us. Oh, we've been here since 1911. You know, it's never going to change. My father was here. My grandfather was here. Everyone's going to keep coming to us. But people are going to start eating your lunch by whether it's offering new things, making things easier. I like to say 
my business partner and I, John Andrews, you know, talk a lot about simplicity. We're writing a book called Retail Relevant, and we like to say that simplicity is the new everyday low pricing, meaning that it's not. Ju- it used to be all, for a long time. It became about price. The cheaper you were, the better it was. Walmart was all about price. Their thing was called everyday low pricing, EDLP, which meant that instead of sales, they always had low prices, which is also a better idea than the whole sale concept. But the idea of things are changing. So if businesses aren't evolving that way, if you're not figuring out how to make it easier for consumers, whether it's figuring out a way to deliver, whether it's figuring out a way to have their products ready after they order and they stop back at the store, whether it's making the shopping experience better, the problem is most retailers, and what I wrote in this article, is they're trying to discount their way out of trouble because they still think it's all about price. And not only that, but once you start discounting, it, it's a death spiral because once people get used to buying the product at a discount, I mean, that's all they want to buy. Um, a company I work with called Hathaway, which is an agency doing great work with loyalty and a lot of major brands, recently did a survey, and they were like, they, they just couldn't believe how many people were saying things like, oh, Banana Republic, yeah, I shop there twice a year when they have their 50% off sale. That's it. And what you're, we're doing by doing that is we're training our consumers to wait for the sales. But what's happening? These major retailers are doing this because they've got to keep the doors open. And so what do they do? They cut their staff, they cut their inventory, they cut their prices. So the experience becomes poor. And yes, they're getting an immediate uh, validation because people are jumping in and saying, oh my God, I can buy those things for 25, 30, 40% off. And they're jumping in, but people aren't coming there for everything they need. They come to the store, they're not having a good experience. I go into a Dick's Sporting Goods, and if they don't have what I want, there's not they don't even say, well, let's try to find a fee in another store. Or, oh, you know, by the way, those shoes aren't available, but these are very similar. They just go, nope, don't have it. Because there's one guy who's so busy, he's got to go to the next person. He's got no time to rely on me because they're cutting back on all those things to try to make the numbers work. And some of these big companies, they're stuck. It's not even their fault. Their financing is based on their stock price. So if 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 their sales go down, their stock price goes down, therefore their financing costs go up. And so what do they do? They do anything to keep their sales up. And then they declare victory. Oh, we have an amazing quarter. Sales were up by 82%. You know, yeah, but you're giving the stuff away and your inventory isn't there and it's never going to sustain. So I can't tell you I have all the answers for these retailers, but what I can tell them is that they're not trying to do new things. And believe me, some of them are. And there are companies out there really making efforts to, to change what they're doing or to maybe appeal to become a part of an organization that can help them, whether it's getting acquired by Amazon, which, which we've seen with Whole Foods. I believe there are more acquisitions coming. I think Amazon's going to acquire a traditional grocer. I think they're going to acquire a luxury brand. I think they're going to acquire a discounter. It could be Kohl's. It could be Target. But some of those companies are making themselves more acceptable. Maybe their changes, if you look at Kohl's, they've done a lot. Like, I don't find them a very appealing retailer or discounter, but they're doing a lot of things over the last year or two to make themselves appealing to Amazon customers. They're making, they have Amazon stores in their stores. They're taking Amazon returns. To me, that says, you know, it's it's like the piggy opening up the door to the big bad wolf. But it's saying instead of blowing down my house, maybe you'll come in and make me part of your community. Yeah. And, and let's go a little bit deeper, actually, on those points there. Um, we have a lot of small, medium enterprises who listen into the show, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs. Uh, when it comes to effective use of social media and digital, what are three things that these particular businesses or brands should be actioning in 2018? Could you repeat that? I'm sorry. It, it just cut off there. Sure. Yeah. So we have a lot of small, medium enterprises who listen into the show on a regular basis, sort of entrepreneurs and solopreneurs who, who run these small businesses. And when it comes to their effective use of social media and digital, what are three things that they need to be actioning in 2018? Well, I think that first and foremost, they've got to jump in and start engaging with people, uh, letting people know they're available. It it is a 24-7 world, and part of simplicity is people want to know they can get answers all the time. I'm not telling these people to stay up all night. I'm not telling (laughs) them to hold people accountable, but become responsive. Um, Don't walk away from conversations. Once somebody starts communicating with you, finish the conversation, or don't just leave. Tell them, I've got some other things I need to do right now. Maybe you can follow up with me and give them an email address or give them another way to get in touch with you and say, I'd love to continue the conversation. Um, Or just say, hey, maybe we can schedule a time later to complete this. But too many, uh, I see small businesses and people in general 
you know, walk, they ask a question there or someone asks them a question, they give an answer and that's it and they're done. And I get it. It's a time constraint, but there's ways to have polite conversation. Like in person, you would never, never be standing next to somebody in the supermarket or at your store. They'd ask you a question, you'd answer it. You would just turn around and walk away. You'd say, oh, excuse me, I have to help another customer or, oh, there's something in the back I'd have to do. You would make a comment, but we don't do that digitally because we think we don't have to. So I would advise people to start thinking about those conversations and how to do those kinds of things. Um, I, I would tell them that they should be um, joining group and learning from others. There's so much great information out there. There's so many great community things. I think they should be building their own communities, letting people connect with each other. And most importantly, I mean, granted, if they're a solopreneur, this is a little bit tougher, but empower your employees, especially in small business. Every employee should be able to do multiple functions, especially when it comes to connecting with consumers, sharing you know, yes, we sometimes we have to worry about what people are going to say, but, you know, give them some, some guardrails, teach them how to communicate, hire people or, you know, a lot of times a lot of communities are people that will do this for you without even a big fee, you know, come in and just talk to your staff about how to use social media or how to communicate with people or proper ways to answer things. I think there's just a lot of things people can be doing. There's so much learning available out there. Um, uh, there's a tremendous amount of valuable podcasts. Um, here we go right here. Look at yours. Uh, there are a lot of others. So I multitask. I don't have time to listen to podcasts, but instead of listening to music, when I go out running or for a walk or some of those things, I listen to podcasts. So I, you know, I find other times to do things where I might have done, yes, the music is entered, is nice and I like it. And maybe I'm losing a little by no longer doing it, but I'm bettering myself and I'm, I'm finding a little extra time that I wasn't using for something else that was productive other than, yes, my me time. But my me time can be learning from guys like you or, or from other people that are online. Um, there, there's, look, as small business people, we do have to figure out to get how to get more out of our time in order to make our businesses successful so we can have our downtime, so we can shut down. So empower some of your employees to do some of what you're doing and stop worrying so much about the fact that it has to be perfect or your way. Yeah, and um, I've learned a lot from watching people on social media such as you in relation to how you engage with brands. And even just yesterday, I noticed that, you know, or the day before, I noticed that you'd got something that I really, really want to get myself, which is um, a paddleboard. Oh, yeah. You know, I seen your picture going up on Instagram. I seen your picture going up on Twitter. And I was like, wow, I want one of these. And, and you had got the inflatable one, which is the one that I'm thinking about. And you instantly came back to me and you copied in the company or the, you know, wherever you bought it from or wherever you got it. And that was a great way right. then for, for me then to start to build that relationship with that particular company. Because I asked the question, I wonder, do this do this ship internationally? And they, they came back to me, which is brilliant. So people can learn an awful lot from watching others. Now, I'm conscious of time and I want to flip the switch really, really quickly because this is probably a really important question for some people who listen into the podcast. And I want to be adding a little bit of value to maybe those you know, marketing students, college students who are maybe studying marketing, studying digital marketing, or they're they're studying business in college or university. And and this is the time of year that people are graduating and they're they're leaving the comfort of the college and the university and they're going out into the world to try to get their foot in the door with companies and get their career started in marketing. Before we finish up, Ted, um, can you give three bits of advice that you would share with students or graduates today in order to get that start? I mean, you mentioned how you started with Seth Godin and Yo-Yo Dine and that type of stuff. What would you say to graduates today? Well, first of all, I only have like three minutes left, so we've got to try to wrap, wrap this up because I have another call coming in. We do. Um, but what I would say to students right now is something that a lot of them overlook because they think there's not a lot of value there. But the, I, I say start a blog. Um, start demonstrating what you're writing. Are you a college student? You know, um, Are you diving into job hunting? You know, you need something besides a student resume to catch the eye of potential employers. And sometimes it seems like you're fighting an uphill battle, you know, with the chicken and egg syndrome. But you, you can use your student experience to fill in some of the blanks. And one of the things I think is really important is starting a blog. I mean, think about it. Most of these college students, most of you guys out there that are just getting out of college, look at all the content you've written over the last four years. And you're not getting paid to write it. You're paying to write it. Sure. You're there. 
So why not take all that content and repurpose it and put it into a blog? Remember something, you're getting it graded and corrected. When I write something, I don't get it uh, corrected or graded or their opinions until after it's out there. But you guys have stuff that you've already fixed, that you've already worked on. You've spent four years improving your skills. Why not put that out there for employers to find? Because by the way, they are Googling you. Um, and, and not only are they Googling you, but they are, go they are going to, they are going to, Look at your LinkedIn. They're going to see what kind of experience you have. Why not have something out there that right away puts it out there for them? All this great work you've done. Just take it. Don't take it exactly as it was and as you first put it out there. But put it out there. Um, repurpose it. Take it and write about those topics and put it in the blog. I think that's really, really important. That That's one of the things that I think you should you should really do. Second of all, expand your, your social presence. Recognize, uh, get into LinkedIn. Make sure you fill it out thoroughly. Don't think it's unimportant. I will tell you right now that most companies find their employees via LinkedIn. When you're, when you're getting a job as a recruiter for a major company, you have to write an algorithm for LinkedIn about how to find a particular job. So make sure you have everything you've done in there, that you look at what are important keywords, that you include some of the content you've created. So I think that's really important. And then start changing a lot of your names. Like if, you, if when you were in college, you had a fun Instagram name or a fun Twitter name, you know, get your name in there. Make sure your, your information is there. Make sure that people can find you on LinkedIn. Put your phone number, put your email address, include those things. Don't just think they're gonna reach out to you through LinkedIn. And even if they do, you might miss it. So basically what I'm saying is make it easy for people to know who you are, what you're about, how to find you and how to get in touch with you. I love it, Ted. Those are awesome tips. And I think those are really, really important things to finish with today. Um, I just want to finish off by, by thanking you for your time today and, and, and giving your insight and, and adding an incredible amount of value to episode 40 of the podcast. Before we finish up, if there's any businesses who are listening, there's any events happening in Ireland, indeed North or South, or indeed in the UK, and they're maybe looking for a keynote speaker, how can people find out about Ted Rubin? And also... Do you have any details on when the new book is coming out? Uh, it's real easy. Um, um, you can email me at tedrubin at gmail.com. You can call me, 516-270-5511. You can Google Ted Rubin. The first 10 pages are probably me. You can go to tedrubin.com, which is my blog, or you can find me on any social platform as Ted Rubin. So uh, I'd love to connect with your audience in any way, shape, or form. Please feel free to reach out anytime, not just if you're looking for somebody to consult or to speak at one of your events. Um, and I would love to be in touch with any of you guys. And remember, relationships are like muscle tissue. The more you engage them, the stronger and more valuable they become. I love it. Ted Rubin, thanks for taking time out to join me on episode 40 of the Zero Lives Left podcast. My pleasure, Wayne. All right, hope you enjoyed that episode with Ted Rubin. I don't know about you, but that was a pretty amazing 40 minutes to spend. So many amazing takeaways in this episode that I, I've just made so many notes. I've got so many things that I want to implement, but I suppose if I'm to summarize up in the short time that I have today... I think one of the key things for me with this is the whole aspect of using and building that relationship and a relationship is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it becomes. Ted talked a lot about how businesses can help people relate to them. He touched on do it for others without expecting something directly in return. Do something nice and make it easy. A lot of businesses make it difficult. You know, they make it difficult for a customer to interact with them, whether that's through their social channels, whether that's through the offline environment. And being nice to people is really, really important. Looking people in the eye digitally and doing what you have been taught to do face to face. And many people struggle with that whole concept when it comes to social media. They understand how to engage with that person, how to look that person in the eye digitally and, and how to do what they were taught to do in the offline world in that face to face environment. A brand is what a business or person does. A reputation is what people remember and share. And you will know this in the past. You might have heard me speak at events. One of the big things that I talk about is the importance of reputation and, and how to build a reputation and how to build a positive reputation online, but also how to build that reputation by the interactions that you have with your customers. You you know, leave that lasting impression, be nice to people, make them want to go away and talk 
about the experience that they've had with your business, your brand, or your organization. I thought Ted's top tips were brilliant. Engage with people. Let them know that you're available. Be responsive. And that's something, again, that a lot of businesses struggle with, particularly when it comes to social media. They put out all these marketing messages But when they start to get some feedback coming back in, they're not responsive. Focus on building your community. This is something that I worked hard at on my online safety parents page on Facebook. I built a a community of people and I wanted to help them. I wanted to create content that would help answer the questions that they had. So building that community is really, really important. And then also empowering your employees and letting them get on board with social media. Let them help you leverage the social media channels. I thought those final takeaways from Ted, particularly when it comes to students and graduates, starting that blog and, and taking some of that content that you wrote at university and repurposing it and getting it out there into the world so people can see it. And recruiters, employers need to see something other than your CV. So having that LinkedIn profile up and running, having that blog is a great way to show recruiters to show employers what it is you're all about and then expanding on your social presence. Some great tips there for young people, for graduates, for students who are thinking about getting their foot in the door, getting a start on the career ladder. So I want to thank Ted Rubin for giving up his time to share some of his experience, to share his journey with us today on episode 40 of the podcast. Make sure you stop by his website. Make sure you connect with him on social media. He's a great guy. Hopefully we're going to see him back here in the UK and Ireland sometime in the very near future. And if you're an organization, you're running an event, you're looking for a pretty awesome speaker, do stop by, do check Ted out and let's try and get him back here to Ireland for an event in the very, very near future. Don't forget if you're enjoying this episode of the podcast, please do rate and review it on iTunes. Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're listening to this on. Reviews are really important and they do help other people find out about the show. As I mentioned at the start of the show, at the top of the show, we're going to have a couple of really exciting announcements coming over the next couple of weeks. We're going to be changing the format slightly of the podcast in early 2019. We're working on it right now. I'm really excited about it. I think you're going to be excited too and I want to bring you on this journey with us. We're going to be coming back very, very soon with another episode of the show, episode 41. Make sure you stop by and you check out the Zero Lives Left podcast website. It's available over at zerolivesleftpodcast.com. Don't forget if there's somebody you would like me to interview on the show, I would love to hear from you. Please do get in touch. You can send me a tweet to at Zero Lives Left or you can drop me an email into studio at Zero Lives Left podcast. Once again, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the show. Thank you so much to Ted. And I'll see you very soon for episode 41 of the Zero Lives Left podcast. Thanks for listening to the Zero Lives Left podcast with Wayne Denner. Make sure to check out Wayne's new book, The Student's Guide to an Epic Online Reputation. Available from WayneDenner.com and follow him on Twitter at Wayne Denner. Tune in next time.